Hit it, hit it. Yeah, yeah. You okay there, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. Was, was that a reference to something I'm familiar with, or were you just nope. feeling musical? Oh. Just feeling, a, uh, feeling a, musical. A reference to something. No, no. Just a reference to reality. That was pure Todd. Pure Todd. That's all you get all the time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we are talking about Monty Brewster from the film Brewster's Millions. This is a request from patron Carl. Thanks, Carl. Thank you very much, Carl. Carl also requested our episode on dinosaurs, I believe. And uh, Hulk, Hulk, Planet Hulk. Back in the day. Uh, both of which have done quite well in the downloads for us, so you have good selections for us, Carl. A little off the beaten path. Yeah. Uh, before we <laughs> jump into our discussion of Brewster's Millions, and so if that's what you're, you came here to listen to, why don't you just skip ahead four to five minutes, but we need to revisit... Our fantasy box office. Update time. Yes. Listeners, if you recall, at the start of this year, we did a special episode where Todd and I selected a pool of films, and we were trying to choose what would have the greatest box office in American dollars, uh, in the American market, but also uh, the total box office take of every film was going to be multiplied by its Rotten Tomatoes score. So if a film only received a 20% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, you only get 20% of its cash. And our goal was to get the highest box office tally by the end of the year. Uh, and to do so, we had to be selecting both what's going to make a lot of money and what the critics we think are going to like. And we're doing that by prognosticating from almost 12 months out on some of these films. So we've had some hits and misses already in our guesses. And it was only the domestic box office. Yes, only domestic. U.S. domestic. Yeah. International box office has a lot of factors, including whether or not a film opens in China that we just didn't want to have to be researching. Okay. So uh, do you want me to go through this chronologically really quickly? Yeah, so uh, just real quick, we have a spreadsheet with every film that we selected out there and the formula in place for us to just plug in the Rotten Tomato score and the weekly uh, box office. We use boxofficemojo.com for those numbers. And so at the end of the year, you'll just find their total. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and as we update it, we update everything that's out there. And once the film's out of the theater, its numbers stop getting getting updated. Todd, you opened up a massive early lead because just by sheer chance, you had the early calendar year all to yourself. By film. yes, Correct. so uh, so the the year started out January twentieth with Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage. This was the number twenty three overall pick in the draft, and it turned out to be a big swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> big swing and a miss. Yeah. Great big swing and a miss. Uh, it's it's pulled in forty four million, almost forty five million dollars. Rotten Tomato score forty three percent. The adjusted box office nineteen million dollars for you, Todd. Um, for me, uh, just just so you can compare the same. The number twenty three film from two thousand sixteen made one hundred and twenty five million dollars. So uh, we are not doing. That's I'm not, not doing great. That's not adjusted. Yeah, that's the Either. unadjusted box office. Uh, the second film that came out this year was Split. Now, this was the number 41 overall <laughs> pick oh, in the draft. Slam for Todd. This was, yes, this is, what we can, this is what we call a grand slam. So it's made $137 million this year so far. Uh, it's Rotten Tomato score is 76%, so I'm, I'm pulling in $104 million. 
uh, adjusted on this film. The number 41 film from last year only made $73 million, so it's at 187% of where it should be, which is really good for me. Uh, Then Resident Evil... Uh, the final chapter, that's another one of my films. It came out January 27th. It has made $26 million and it has a 33% Rotten Tomato score Not for a whopping for adjusted, uh, adjusted box office of 8 million. The, <laughs> the number 39 film from last year made 76 million. So I'm at only 35% on that. Uh, then on February, uh, 10th. Uh, Lego Batman came out, and this I thought still this hot. was this is still me. I thought this was going to be uh, even better than it has been. It's been pretty good. It's at 172 million, and a 91 percent Rotten Tomato score. Uh, the adjusted box office is 157 million, but it was my number seven pick, and the number seven film from last year made 330 million. <laughs> so I'm only that? at half of what it should be. I would have expected that one to make yeah, just, significantly more money right. than it has. Was that the highest Rotten Tomato score so far? Uh, yeah, it's what by, it was by the what last you're time. Reading I... off, mm-hmm. yeah, ninety-one percent. Uh, then on March third, my final film of this run, uh, Logan, which was my number nineteen pick, and has made two hundred and thirteen million dollars in the box office. And has a Rotten Tomato score of 92%, which gives it an adjusted score of $196 million, and that is 148% over the number 19 film from last year. This was the 19th overall pick. So you've had some, some way overperformers and some way underperformers. Way overperformers, way underperformers. No consistency. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> and then finally, on March 10th, Kong Skull Island. Joe makes his debut with his number 18 pick. It makes $150 million so far in the domestic box office and has a, rotten to- a respectable Rotten Tomato score of 78%. That's $117 million adjusted. And it's at 99.86% of the number 18 so, film. That was almost perfect. I was right on. Right basically. on. Way to go. And then, and then everything changes. <laughs> so at that point, I was like 200 plus million behind you in our tally. And then Beauty and the Beast comes out on sweet, March seventeenth. Beauty and the Beast money just comes <laughs> rolling over me. <laughs> this is the number two overall pick, and makes four hundred and four million dollars in so far in two weeks. <laughs> three uh, weeks. At this point. Three, weeks, three weeks. It has a Rotten Tomato score of seventy one percent, which is lower than I expected. Not that. as good as we had expected, but is still adjusted two hundred eighty six million. It's already at ninety nine percent of the number two film from last so, year. So what we're seeing is I'm more consistent in where I picked films, but you are, have a few that are just going great for you in, in your picks. Yeah, and then what I was hoping would be the Beauty and the Beast killer, Power Rangers, turned out <laughs> not, not quite to be that. <laughs> it had a respectable opening week, but has not done great. It's a it was my number eleven pick overall. Uh, it's the, it's made 68 million domestic it has a 47% Rotten Tomato score. So the adjusted is 31%. Ooh. It's at 29% of the number 11 film from last year. Uh, and then my next film was Ghost in the Shell. I was really hoping that this film would do better than it has. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's only been out for one weekend, but it made $23 million. It's Rotten Tomato score is 42%. Uh, which puts it in the realm of Resident Evil at this point. <laughs> it's just barely, it's got $9 million 
uh, adjusted and is only 18% of the number 21 film from last year. And then f- the final film that has come out this year so far is The Boss Baby, which what was, pick was that? it was the number 32 overall pick. It made and 60 that million. Me. That was me. It made 60 million dollars in the box office. It made three times as much money as Ghost in the Shell. I am so disappointed. That was it made three times as much as Ghost in the Shell. It only has a 48% Rotten Tomato yeah. score, so you're only pulling in uh, 28 million. Uh, but it's already at 66% of the number 32 film from last year. So, uh, so the scoreboard looks like this. I have seven films total. Joe has three. Uh, my total, um, uh, un- my total unadjusted earnings are six hundred eighty-six million six hundred fifty-three thousand four hundred eighty-two. Joe's total unadjusted earnings with four fewer films is six hundred fourteen million five hundred twenty-eight thousand seven hundred twenty-six. So how close, are, earnings, how close are you guys on the unadjusted? Unadjusted, I'm at 528, and he's at 432. Uh, so oh, I have a $95 million lead, lead in our adjusted box office. In the adjusted, uh, in the okay. adjusted score. My- now, I'm going to take Go a little hit next week because I got Smurfs opening, uh, and the, bo- the Rotten Tomato score is not looking strong for Smurfs. Now, you but, can't lose money. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but my Rotten Tomato average is going to drop a bit. So uh, the average critic score so far, the average Rotten Tomato score so far... And this includes what Smurfs is at the moment. ...is minus 60.57%, which is fresh, and Joe's is 57.25%, which is rotten. It's getting dragged down by Boss Baby at 50% or so, and, and Smurfs, I entered it this morning, I think it's at like 24% at the moment on Rotten Tomatoes. It hasn't opened up yet. Some more reviews are going to come in. Hopefully some of those uh, critics are going to love it. <laughs> so one would think, one would think, hey... Statistically, Todd seems to be doing pretty well. He's winning in total adjusted earnings. He's winning in the difference. He's winning in the average Rotten Tomato score. But no. <laughs> average adjusted earnings per film. Uh, I have $75 million per film. Joe is at $144 million <clears throat> per film. So, uh, And the average against similarly ranked films from 2016, Joe's at 88%. I'm at 72%. So... So statistically, uh, I feel like I've won a few battles, but the war seems to be shifting. <laughs> and, at the, I just love that favor. at the moment, I seem to be like nailing when I made my picks for about what the box office is. Again, we have a very small sample size so far, so this could vary wildly as we get out. And Todd, you're just all over the map. Some super overperformers <laughs> and some major underperformers. <laughs> right now, the only two films that have that have reached their rank are from last year for from last to... year are split which is 187% of last year <laughs> and Logan which is 148% of last year and then you have two that are just knocking on the door with 99% which are Beauty and the Beast and uh Kong and Skull Kong Skull Island and everything else is like low <laughs> <laughs> so uh this is 
man, this has brought so much joy to me over the course of this year, and I am really looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy coming out. I, I never imagined a world in which I would be refreshing Rotten Tomatoes on a daily basis, checking <laughs> the score of Boss Baby and Smurfs, but here I am. This is, this is what I do. <laughs> this and is I, the world that we've come to. I was so excited. We, we have a, a Slack, uh, our messaging service that we use for this podcast, and uh, we, we've had Rotten Tomato score smack being thrown back and forth. And I loved watching Ghost in the Shell drop from day to day. Because oh, early in the week, Todd was like, it's like at 87%. This is going to be a good one for me. And then slowly, Boss Baby, which started at like 20%, started creeping up. And Ghost in the Shell was going down. I was like, I might pass Todd by Friday. I might, I might have a higher Rotten Tomato score. And I did. 49% to like 44%, I think. So, so we need to wrap this little segment up, but I just want, I'm wondering, do you, do you feel like you have any bold predictions knowing what you know now? We've got three months of this under our belt. Mm -hmm. Do you have any bold predictions for the future? Any of these films that you think that you're looking at now thinking, I I wonder if this is going to. Well, I I will say the thing that I learned because our biggest miss of the year was get out, um, which is a horror film. We pretty much dodged the horror genre when we were making our picks. And I think on the one hand, that's wise because there's a lot of horror films that come and go and make like $20 million and get like 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. But every year it seems like there's a horror film that breaks a hundred million and get out easily broke a hundred million and was like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. So we might need to take a closer look at horror films for future years when we play and, this game. And play a risky game with that. Yeah. <laughs> Because easily Get Out is our biggest miss of the year. So here's my prediction. Split was the number 41 overall. It was the last film picked uh, overall. The second to last film was Baywatch. (laughs) Which comes out on May 26th. I am going to predict that Baywatch does not make as much money as Split. Though I'm going to predict... Because that film stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, is, dang it! <laughs> it is going to make a lot more money than thirty-nine films than than several of the the films that were selected before it. Not all of the films that were selected before it, but it probably should not have gone as late as it did in the game. Okay, I'm right. going to I'm, make I'm a, really I'm gonna make a further to... prediction, and I'm going to say that Wonder Woman is going to make more money than Baywatch. Uh, yes, I'm comfortable yeah. with that. But Wonder Woman was like our fourth film pick. I it think. was the fifth. It was I, number five overall. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to someone's fortunes changing when uh, Fate of the Furious comes yes, out. Yes, that's the next big film yeah. coming out. And that is one of my picks. I I think that'll be when I can finally take a lead in the in our current box office. I think, I, I think you'll, you'll get a good bump off of that. I think you're right. And right. I'm hoping that it's not uh, such a big lead that Guardians of the Galaxy will not then push me back over the top. <laughs> All right. Uh, so periodically throughout the year, at least probably three more times throughout the year, we'll give you updates. Uh, maybe not quite as in-depth as this <laughs> This was. This our first, yeah, first only, update. And we only had seven films to talk about. As we get more films to talk about, we'll have to be quicker. Uh, but today, circling back to Patron Carl's request, we are talking about Brewster's Millions. Uh, this is a 1985 film that was written by Herschel Weinrod and directed by Walter Hill. In the film, Monty Brewster is played by Richard Pryor, and it tells the story of a man whose eccentric relative has left him $300 million, but he can only inherit it if he spends $30 million in 30 days so that he gets tired of spending money. <laughs> Such a strange story. <laughs> well, wait till we get to the trivia about the story, Todd. <laughs> I, I can't wait. Uh, had you ever heard of this movie before, Todd? Never. 
Never. Okay. Nope. I own the DVD. It was given to me as a gift uh, several years ago, and I watched it and I thought that was a pretty good movie, but I haven't really revisited it until today. But when Carl suggested it, I was like, I own it. It's great. I don't have to uh, go rent that or anything. So uh, what were your thoughts on on a second viewing? Well, I I was definitely watching it differently than my first viewing because I'm doing it for this podcast. So I'm trying to think critically about what we're seeing. And I think there's some interesting topics of discussion. Uh, <laughs> though I came to this viewing shortly after we had read slash discussed uh, things like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and March, which are very heavy social commentary films. And we actually reversed our order and we've already uh, recorded an episode on the, on a novel called blindness, which deals with a lot of very heavy subjects. And in some ways it was nice to have a palate cleanser. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tonally. Uh, This is a film that's just a straight up comedy uh, from the 1980s. And uh, Richard Pryor is a very famous comic actor uh, and it has John Candy. And it made me realize I kind of miss John Candy. I wish I had a little more John Candy in my life. Yeah. But think about it critically, it made me ask questions that I certainly never had uh, in my first viewing about kind of some of the capitalistic messages of the film that uh, I'm going to save that for our discussion after we do the full synopsis. All right. Uh, Before we jump into the trivia, we want to uh, remind you that this podcast provides you with over four hours of content, hopefully entertainment, every month. And if that's worth a quarter per hour to you, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. Uh, all supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss, as listener Carl did with this episode. Yes, and we appreciate all of our patrons. It makes it possible for us to do what we do. Uh, we like podcasting. It's not a moneymaker. In fact, it is. it sucks money out of you because you have to pay for hosting and websites uh, and equipment. Uh, thanks to our patrons. We're able to break even on a lot of those, and we appreciate all the support that we receive. Yes, thank you, thank you. So some trivia about Brewster's Millions. This film is based on a 1902 novel that was written by George Barr McCutcheon, and that novel was called... Brewster's Millions. In the novel, again, this is 1902, so some inflation has happened since <laughs> since that, that time period. Uh, Montgomery Brewster inherits $1 million from his grandfather. Then an uncle wills him $7 million, but he can only receive that larger inheritance if he spends all $1 million of the first inheritance within one year. <laughs> so $1 million, one year versus $30 million, 30 days. So both an expansion and a contraction for the updated version in 1985. <laughs> uh, there are stipulations that he cannot spend any of the $1 million for himself. And as one of the conditions of the second will, he cannot tell anyone why he is spending his money so rapidly. So that novel was published in 1902. It was adapted for the stage in 1906. Uh, That stage play was later adapted into a musical that was called Zip Goes a Million. (laughs) That novel from 1902, Brewster's Millions, has been adapted for film 12 times, including four Indian film adaptations. Oh, like Bollywood? Like Bollywood films? I don't know if they're all Bollywood. Uh, uh, There's other genres of film besides Bollywood out there. And, and at least some of the ones that I looked at didn't, none of them mentioned Bollywood as I was clicking oh, around man. Wikipedia, looking at these. I would, I'd, I would probably really love to see a Bollywood Brewster's <laughs> million though. I would love that. Like, like um, uh, one of the Bollywood music. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, of course. like, cause a lot of them have extensive sequences that are basically music videos. Yeah. Yes. They're the <laughs> best. They're, I love those. Amazing. And we haven't done one of those yet. And we need to. Yes. 
If any someone, can... someone recommend. Yeah. You don't even have to buy it. Recommend a good Bollywood film <laughs> choice. We'll put it on our schedule. Though I will, as I'm saying that, acknowledge that our current film slate, anytime someone suggests a film for us, it is going into our 2018 calendar. Uh... <laughs> But but suggest one so we can get it on there for 2018. Uh, the first film adaptation of this was a silent film that has been lost, but it was directed by Cecil B. DeMille. You may be familiar oh, with that man. director's name. Did a few classics in the silent and sound era of Golden Age Hollywood. There is another uh, lost silent film, but it was a gender-swapped version that was called Miss Brewster's Millions. Huh. Yeah. So uh, I just think it's interesting that we have this film from, or this novel from 1902 that seems to be one of our more adapted texts. Not one of the most. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is going to beat it. Uh, the Bible <laughs> gets adapted more. Uh, but that's a lot of adaptations for a 1902 novel. Yeah. You ready for the for the long synopsis? Yeah. Let's Let's go ahead and tell everyone all about this movie. Go for it. Okay, Montgomery Brewster is a minor league pitcher, and I mean very minor league baseball. In the opening scene, his game gets delayed when a train goes through the outfield while he's on the mound pitching. All of a sudden, there's a train. That. It's like uh, when kids are playing wiffle ball in the street and they yell car and everyone stands on the sidewalk. That's what happens to all the minor league players. They yell train and everyone steps aside and they watch the train go. The tracks actually run through the outfield. Through it's the outfield, not- yeah. It's not behind the outfield. It is it's in the outfield. Straight through the middle of the outfield. Yeah. I, I like that. His best friend is his catcher, Spike Nolan. After uh, they win the game, Brewster and Nolan get in a bar fight. And they're locked up in jail. And there's a great moment where uh, Richard Pryor, the Brewster uh, character, he's like, there were lots of us in the fight. We're the only two in jail. And then John Candy looks at him and goes, I don't think it's a race thing because I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, their manager comes and says that they've been cut from the team and the team is not going to be paying their bail. And then a stranger pays their bail and he takes them both to New York City. Brewster discovers that his bail was actually paid by a law firm. They have been looking for him because he is the sole survivor of a very wealthy man and he's received a very large inheritance with some very firm stipulations. A video of his deceased ancestor is played wherein it is explained that Brewster can inherit $300 million if he passes a test, but if he fails that test, he will get nothing. Or he could just accept a one-time upfront payment of $1 million. Uh, the test is that in order to receive the $300 million, he has to first have $30 million that he spends in 30 days. And really, he has to waste this money. It's not just spending it. He cannot have any assets at the end of the 30 days that are in his name. He has to only have the clothes on his back that he has at that moment in the room with the lawyers. He cannot tell anyone what the stipulations of the will are. So everyone will think that he's just burning through his inheritance uh, he can only donate 5% of this to charity. He can only lose 5% of it through gambling. He can hire anyone he wants, uh, but he cannot just give money away. So he's really got to actually spend all of the money. The The relative describes this as being like when he was seven years old, he I stole a cigar from his grandfather or from his father, and his father locked him in a room with a box of cigars and said, you can't come out till you've smoked all of them, just so he would get smoking out of his system, and he'd be so <laughs> sick of smoking. He's like, I want you to be sick at the idea of spending money before you get $300 million. So he couldn't actually just, like, literally burn 
thirty million dollars. In fact, it says, he says you might be thinking you're going to go buy a Picasso and just burn it, but you cannot waste anything that has inherent value. You cannot destroy anything that has an inherent value. Is one of the stipulations. Okay, so even even like the the dollar bills, he can't yeah. just light those up. Yes, uh, we'll talk about what my favorite way that he circumvents this when we get. Through. I mean, we'll I, lo- to I I love it. Also. I mean, you can buy like gold plated food, like like gold leafed food. Oh, he buys a lot of food for everyone. <laughs> like, that's a yeah. good. That's a good option. Yeah. Oh, there he, are. He, he hits I, some high-end restaurants. I think was. I think we can say there are certainly some holes in this. Yes. And travel, international travel. Only thirty days, though, so you'd have to be yeah, really traveling. Thirty million dollars. Yeah, but I mean, you charter, charter some jets. Well, that we'll, gets we'll talk about what we yeah. could do. We, we okay, will, okay, yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. I'm yeah. jumping ahead. Yeah, uh, he considers the one the one million dollar offer, saying a bird in the hand. But then he says. No, I'm going to go for the $300 million birds. <laughs> go big or go home. Yep. Well, and, and he gets to, like, have $30 million for a while. Yeah. Like, that's a good chunk of money. Now, if he fails in his test, the $300 million will uh, be dispersed through a law firm to various charities, but for a significant fee. So there are is this law firm that has a kind of a vested interest in watching him fail. And they supply an attractive paralegal named Angela Drake to keep track of Brewster's finances for all 30 days. She has to get a receipt for every single th- thing that he buys. To make sure it totals business. up to... Right, mm-hmm. which is why he can't burn the yeah. money. Gotcha. But she has no idea about this unique arrangement. So she's just watching $30 million of receipts come through as he's attracted to her and trying to flirt with her. And she's kind of like, you are the biggest idiot I've ever laid and eyes you on. you are wasting so much money. <laughs> yeah. So there is some tension there uh, that gets laid in. This sounds really, really fun. I need to borrow this DVD. Yeah. Uh, And Richard Pryor is a very gifted comedic actor. Uh, Immediately, Brewster hires a personal photographer and a personal security (laughs) detail. He just starts looking at people. He's like, you, $10,000 a week to be my photographer. He hires a bank guard immediately, like giving them a a 500% raise over what their bank (laughs) was or their bank pay was. Uh, and he also decides that he's going to buy, or rather rent, his old minor league team. <laughs> I, I love how they get around this. He's on the phone. He's like, I'm going to buy the team. And he's like, oh, I can't have any assets. I'm going to rent the team. It's like, can he do that? But they just make it work. It's, it's one of those hand-wavy moments in the narrative. Uh, there are Bruce, uh, a few others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of hand-wavy movements. Brewster loves baseball, and he knows that he can pitch against anyone, but he doesn't feel like he's ever had the chance. He buys the team new uniforms, and he hatches a scheme for an exhibition game against the New York Yankees. <laughs> and uh, he also, uh, in all this, uh, like we're going to run through a lot of the plot really quick. He, he hires a personal driver and a fleet of limousines. He immediately gets a comically huge entourage when he offers to buy lunch for everyone at a fancy restaurant. And by everyone, it just means everyone within earshot when he yells out lunches on it's me. Like 200 people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just following him. Um, Brewster finds out that Angela Drake is engaged to a lawyer named Warren Cox. And Drake says that Cox is such a good man, he can never be bought the way that Brewster is buying everyone else around him. Uh, Brewster, uh, he like there's a newscaster that starts following him around. <laughs> like There's a crazy millionaire that's just throwing money. Uh, people are going to love the story. And so periodically we get a shot of this newscaster. And he's uh, on the news. He announces that he's ready to fund any invention or art project. And he asks people to come bring him their proposals. He makes his best friend the, the vice president of this company that's going to be looking at all these proposals. He rents out the top floors of a fancy hotel for $1 million for the rest of the month. He meets Warren Cox, uh, the lawyer, uh, fiance of Angela Drake, and he offers, 
He offers him $250,000 to be his interior decorator and immediately Cox agrees to this after we've been told that, no, he's, he's too important for such frivolous things like this. <laughs> uh, despite his friend's warnings, Brewster tries desperately to lose money. So his friend Spike and uh, Drake, Angela Drake, are both like really trying to coach him. They bring in a financial uh, guy to help. He's like, this guy, he's a wizard with finances and he only ever gets paid through uh, a percentage of whatever money he makes for you. And he, and immediately Brewster's like, I'm going to pay you $1 million. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't. And then he's like, well, I can. <laughs> I can take some upfront money. Uh, he instructs a man to gamble on every 50 to 1 odd long shot. Uh, he gives him enough money that would be the 5% and says, go, go start gambling. He invests in this harebrained scheme to tow an iceberg. Wait, <laughs> is, he ac- is he accidentally going to end up making money, Thumbies? Wait, like, wait for it, Producer you Andrew. You can't gamble on that many long shots and not make it back. Wait for it, Producer <laughs> Andrew. Uh, he invests in a harebrained scheme to tow an iceberg to the Middle East. I love that guy. To, to the help. guy that proposes that the, the <laughs> scheme for the iceberg is the best. Yeah. <laughs> and it says this is going to help the farmers in the Middle East. And everyone's like, there are no farmers in a desert. And he's like, well, that's not fair. We need to give them water. So there could be farmers <laughs> in the desert. Um, then comically, though, he makes money on all of these schemes. Like it's it's <laughs> 10 or 15 days in and he's like, I'm right back where I started. Uh, the bets all pay off. Uh, the guy comes back with more money than he left with. Another company buys the company that's trying to tow the iceberg. And because he's the sole stockholder in this smaller company, uh, he earns millions more than he had. Um, he <laughs> This is my favorite way he circumvents I, I, He goes to buy the most expensive rare stamp he can find. So hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he uses that stamp. No, it's over a million. It's like oh, a, it's million a million and a quarter. Okay. And he uses that to mail a postcard to the lawyers who are hoping that he fails. <laughs> so he didn't destroy it. He didn't burn it. He used, he used it for it, its function. And, and now it's, I mean, it's yeah. a stamp in the in yeah. the postal system. It, it's not, it's not an asset. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, when Cox, uh, so this is Cox, the, the fiance of Angela Drake. He goes to tell the partners of his firm uh, that I am going to be leaving for a few weeks to be an interior decorator. But this is actually the same lawyers who are hoping hoping that Brewster fails. And they explain why. They explain all the parameters of the will. And they say, you go ahead and take that leave of absence. But somehow we need you to make sure that Brewster has money at the end of these 30 days. And if you do that, we're going to make you a partner in our law firm. Uh, Brewster, realizing that he needs to burn through more money, decides that he's going to get into politics and fund his own campaign (laughs) to become... Well, not to become. He's just funding a campaign in the New York mayoral race. He doesn't want to win, so his campaign slogan is "None of the above." <laughs> Voters, go vote for none of the above. He doesn't like the, <laughs> the two candidates that are running. They're like uh, these two mafioso guys. They're, yes. they're total. They're totally shady. Uh, like New York shady politicians. And he just talks bad about them. He buys ad time and buttons and and stickers that all say none of the above. He he's <laughs> he's buying ad time outside of New York City in case any New Yorkers are out there <laughs> that won't see this. And he's just urging them to vote for none of the above, and he's trashing these other two. And they they say they're going to sue him for ruining their character, and so he settles out of court with them, just trying to find ways to get rid of money. Um, and let's see. Oh, uh, he also, going back to the baseball that he loves, he has arranged for this three-inning exhibition game with the Yankees, and he's going to pitch all three innings to try and show the major leaguers that he could 
uh, be a great pitcher. Um, right before the game, he finds out that he's leading in the polls for the mayoral race as a write-in candidate. So even though he's not <laughs> running for himself, uh, he's becoming so famous that people want to write in his name and people and pollsters are saying he's going to win as a write-in candidate. Uh, but one of the lawyers, uh, there's, there's a good executor of the will uh, that comes and warns him that if he wins the mayor's office, that salary would count as an asset that he gained through this $30 million. Oh, no. So he can't become mayor. Uh, <laughs> or, or he can like he would have to become mayor and then uh, resign we, immediately yeah, or something. Wait, 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 wait. Just wait for it. Okay. Uh, so at the exhibition game, he pitches well for the first two innings. Uh, and you're kind of like, oh, like this is what he really loves. This is going to be the feel-good moment. But then in the third inning, he gives up a grand slam and costs his team the game against the New York Yankees. And then he walks out and he announces that he is 100% dropping out of the mayoral campaign. He doesn't want anybody to vote for him. And at this point, he only has 38000 left. And he announces this and says, I'm going to throw one last party with the last of my money, everyone. Uh, throughout the night, all the sick fans and the entourage that he had accumulated are leaving him because he's broke now. Uh, he puts on the baseball jersey that he was wearing the first night that he inherited the money, and he heads to the lawyer's office confident that he's about to inherit $300 million. And it, it, There's a weird balance here where he's like simultaneously sad because he's kind of seen how hollow everything that he was doing has was, uh, but he's also like, I'm about to become much, much richer <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, than I had been. Uh, but then, like, just before midnight, Cox returns twenty uh, returns $20,000 worth of custom furniture that had been, he'd, been, he'd bought as his interior decorator. And he gets that cash back, and he hands it to Brewster. So now Brewster still has $20,000. And uh, distraught, Brewster now thinks he's going to be broke. Angela Drake finds Cox. Uh, she finds out from Cox about the entire deal, and she finds out what Cox did, and she's furious with him. Uh, in this like argument that's happening, Brewster punches Cox, and Cox says he's going to sue Brewster. And the clock begins to strike 12, and the Brewster says, I need legal counsel because I'm about to get sued. And he offers Angela Drake a $20,000 retainer. <laughs> And she signs a receipt as the clock is chiming the 12 chimes and she gets it on the desk before midnight has fully struck and Brewster is going to receive his full inheritance. The end. Well this done. is so much fun. I can totally see why this was adapted 12 different times into film. <laughs> yeah. I think it sounds um, like a blast. Like you do have to ignore some logic uh, as you go in, but if you could do that and table it, it's a fun concept. And uh, I think one reason why this story gets adapted so often and even a new version was announced recently. I think it was last year. Uh, producer said they were going to be adapting Brewster's millions again. No, I don't think there's a director attached. I don't think there's any cast attached, um, but it looks like it's going to be coming again. I think like producer Andrew said, like there's a, just a sheer fun aspect to this concept that uh, clearly can be moved through different economic times. I mean, this has been adapted from early 20th century, it was adapted during the Great Depression. It's been adapted after. It was adapted in the 80s. Um, and we're going to be getting a new version now. So in different economic times and different social situations, it seems like this is a story that people do enjoy. Yeah. But while I'm saying that, for our first discussion topic, why, Todd? Why do you think this is a story <laughs> that gets adapted that often? That there are 12 film adaptations, a stage adaptation, a musical adaptation, and that it's spanning soon. It seems like it's going to be more than a century worth of adaptations of Brewster's Millions. So before I jump into that question, I just have to say, for me, the biggest hole in this is why doesn't he just pay people more money, right? right. Like, yeah. why doesn't like, he, if he, he said, I'll pay yeah, you yeah, $1,000 a just, week. It's like, why don't you just pay, why don't you just hire one person mm-hmm. and say, I'll pay you $30 million if you do this thing for me for the next hour. 
yeah, then but, they do it, it you know, like, go get a massage and pay the person $30 million and you're free. So there's a stipulation that you couldn't just give the money away. You had to pay, be paying for services. I think right. if there is a new version that comes out, there needs to be something uh, stipulated about like within a fair market value of their services. Right. Yeah, like, like if that, that stipulation existed, it would make more sense. Uh, I, I 100% agree with you. And I wondered the same thing. And, uh, my or when he goes, was, you know, like he goes to the restaurant and he yeah. says, he says, I've got 200 people here. Let's a uh, hundred dollars a head. I'll pay. No, let's make it $200 a head. I'm like, make it a million dollars a head and just <laughs> get rid of your money. Like yeah. there's so, there are so many ways that he could have gotten rid of his money, but, uh, but I'll just set that aside now. Yeah. And again, just for a future adaptation, add something about market value for the job that you're paying people for. Sure. Uh, okay. So why do people like this? I think first of all, exactly what Andrew said, which is just fun to watch someone spend crazy amounts of money. I mean, there's something, uh, like this vicarious kind of, uh, fantasy thing. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a fun thought experiment to see, um, you know, how, how would you do it if the rules, and, and this is why I, I think, I thought this film was a lot of fun. I can't say that this is like my favorite comedy from the eighties or something. And I think part of it was, I just had a hard time getting over that. Like, uh, this would be, this could be so much easier than he's making it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is fun at the same time to see him struggle to try to blow all of this money. Uh, so I think there is something really fun about it. And then I think there are also interesting interpersonal things that can happen. I mean, you can have interesting characters like the accountant lady who she, I mean, she can see that, that he's a good guy. Um, but she's also just driven crazy by the fact that he's blowing all of this money and he can't tell her. And I think of all the rules, that's the best, that's the best of all the rules is that he can't tell anyone. Uh, because it creates a really interesting dynamic among his friends. So uh, on the one hand, I would say there's all there's this great kind of fa- fun fantasy wish fulfillment thing of seeing s- seeing someone spend their money, and on the other side, uh, interesting characters that have interesting dynamic among them, uh, which makes for an interesting story. Yeah. So there's we'll have a link to this, but there was an article actually called "Why Brewster's Millions is the Most Remade Movie of All Time," which I don't think it's the most remade movie of all time. Uh, or at least not the most adapted. Maybe, I mean, that is a lot of remakes that have happened of the same basic story, whereas like with Sherlock Holmes, you're getting a lot of different Sherlock Holmes stories that get adapted frequently. Um, But I'd I'd like to see some data to back up that particular claim. Uh, But it says, um, why does it never go out of style? Uh, It is an irresistible capitalist uh, fable, is what it says. Uh, The details can change, and it notes like in the 80s, when this version that we we watched was made like that was an era when there were a lot of films about rich people and about like the lifestyle of rich people, everything from even like uh, Arthur or Ferris, excuse me, Ferris Bueller's day off uh, or, or wall street, you know, which had the greed is good uh, proclamation about it um, seems to, you know, it fit that era, but throughout uh you know, all these different eras when it's been adapted, like America really fosters the capitalist kind of fever dream <laughs> that this film is, is, uh, is encapsulating and, and is telling like it, it's, uh, you know, the, the best version of the American dream, the one that we really espouse is that, you know, through hard work and good moral standing, anyone could advance beyond their rank where they're at. But there is certainly an aspect of that American dream being told over and over that is 
everyone can get rich, <laughs> you know, and get rich quick and the, and the quicker, the better. And that's why, you know, the lottery system in America can go crazy and you get the Powerball, you know, lotteries where someone's going to become an instant hundred millionaire and it dominates the news story for a while. Like how big is the lottery become? And, and you know, there are conversations that are happening all over America about like, what would you do if you won the Powerball lottery? Right. And this film kind of allows through, you know, comedy to explore some of the things that someone might do if they became instantly wealthy and not only became instantly wealthy because we all want to think we'd be the responsible wealthy person that would make wise investments. This film says, what if you became instantly wealthy, wealthy and had to be frivolous? Yeah. Right. I, I think that's a big part of it is um, not just like the appeal of wealth, because we think a lot about, you know, what if you were granted, you know, all the money you need to do anything. But in this case, it's no, what if you had to spend all of the money you ever thought you might have? Right. And you can't, and uh, what Joe's saying, you can't be responsible with it. You can't invest. Yeah. And you so can't donate to charity. It's, you it's, can't it's, buy. You can't buy assets. You have to just blow it. Yeah, and it really is. You know the 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 thing that the example was. You know the the cigars and everything. It is. You know, make yourself sick with the idea of doing something you've always wanted. Like this dream is now turning sour and gross and disgusting because you've always wanted to have so much money. You could just spend it, spend it, spend it. It's like, no, now you have so much money and you have to spend it until you're sick of it. And, and it like, you really do get sick of it. Like this idea becomes really sickening very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, I like the word fable, but it's like a, it's a cautionary tale. But kind of without the caution, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like it's a cautionary tale, but it's really not that scary. Um, and it, it, as you think about like like a, a capitalist fable, it's like, what's the real message of Brewster's Millions, right? <laughs> like, um, be you know, be smart with your money, and then you could get way way more you money. Get more like, money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it well, seems. I mean, that's the idea. So, yeah, is, no, if you're smart with your money, then you have more of it. Yeah. The, there's the warning of don't spend your money stupidly or you won't have any of it, uh, which gets is, is really what the bulk of the movie plays out is. Uh, but at the same time, like there's always the, in every adaptation, it seems like, and I, this is part of the novel from what I read. Like there's the turn where uh, you, you think you're getting rid of your money, but actually it comes back and you have more than you thought <laughs> because yeah. your friends, and, uh, and usually it's because your friends invested for you. Like people are worried about how you're spending your money. <laughs> so they make sure you get some stocks. They make sure, you know, something, something happens that brings more money back to you, even when you're trying to get rid of it, which I don't know about you guys, but that is not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe you just have to start trying to, to spend play out in my life. <laughs> that I've tried to get rid of my money and just more keeps falling into my lap. Yeah. I, well, I guess that, and that's the trick of him not being able to tell people why he's spending it all. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I agree with Todd, like the best part of this where, where there's actually like some emotional stakes involved. It's not really about the lawyers who are trying to circumvent the will and like, yeah, there's the bad guy that's going to try and ruin this at the last second, but you don't really feel that tension. Cause it's a lighthearted comedy. You're expecting this is gonna be worked out. Maybe the, how it gets worked out is gonna is gonna be fun really the tension is the interpersonal dynamic of this guy looks like he's wasting his money there are a certain number of people around him who are leeches who are just happy that he's 
including them, and they're going to ride this as long as they can. And once it's out, they're out too. And you see that when they all leave at the party, uh, particularly the, the personal photographer is the one the who really represents, yeah. represents that. Uh, the guy who is just a, a leech uh, and has no interest in knowing Brewster or caring about Brewster. And then you have those people who are his real friends who are offering these warning signs over and over and are doing their best to try and, um, and help him. And I, I, I think it's actually worth noting that, uh, his friends, uh, it's Spike, right? He, he briefly kind of gets sucked into the world, but then he is like, no, this isn't, <laughs> uh, cause, cause as soon as he's hired to be the vice president of, uh, this company that's gonna be taking pitches from artists and, and inventors, he goes out and buys this like very gaudy gold necklace with the catcher's mask on it. <laughs> And the suit with the rolled up sleeves and the yeah. sneakers. But 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 like really it's just for the one comedic scene of John Candy doing that, and then he's pretty much back to normal trying to help Brewster be responsible. And at the end, when he realizes that Brewster has blown all of his money, he says, Hey, uh, I just want you to know that I've pretty much saved everything that I've earned and you know, we you and I can still have a good life together. Like you paid me a hundred thousand dollars, I've still got that, and it's ours. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um what do you think about uh, Angela Drake? Um, as far as like a character in the story, yeah, she's not she's she's not given a lot, right? Like she she's not the most uh the not the most thought seem to have been given to her character, right? Like what we can, right. what can we say about her? She's a good person. She's excited when she sees Brewster uh, when when she sees that he's throwing away his money, she tries to stop him. But when he is doing it for things that might be good causes. She says, yes, he's getting unconscious. This is actually a good way to spend money. Uh, Uh, You know, anything that could potentially help other people. She, she helps that, but she hates to see him get ripped off. So there's a scene where um, they get rear ended in their car and um, Brewster actually like coaxes the other guy into wanting a lawsuit and making Brewster settle for hundreds of thousand dollars with him. And she's like, no, he's taking advantage of you. Like this, this is the very thing we're warning you about. And he's like, Oh, I, he looks like he's woozy. And the guy's like, wait, you're Brewster. <laughs> he's like, Oh, 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 my uh, neck, my neck. I have whiplash. <laughs> and, and this is the guy that we rear ended them. Yeah. Uh, so she wants Brewster to be responsible and part of that being responsible isn't just saying don't spend your money it's about spend your money in the right way and have a moral consciousness in how you do it but as far as like who she is as a character there's not much more that we can probably pull from her right yeah I like the actress it's a uh, Lonette McKee and I think she does a good job with what she's given but the it's character not- as she's written is just weird yeah, uh, it's it's like I I feel like because he can't say anything about who he is, the only thing that she knows about him is what she can see, which is he's a he's a crazy out of control spender. Um she sees I mean she knows that he's, you know, with other women uh and using his money to take advantage of women. Um well, and, we never see him successfully try to do that. He well, tries. <laughs> there's a woman, the woman that drops the key in his beer. Yeah. And uh, there's another, you know, there's uh, the night when he's he's with this other woman and then Angela calls because Spike so has shoes the other woman call. off. He shoes the other woman off because he's really interested in her. But there's nothing, there's nothing in him. I mean, like, I'm wondering what does she see in him? Because there's not, there's really not a lot there. 
And right, so- you know, the fact that he does give some money to charity it, it doesn't seem to be enough for him well, to really earn her. Yeah, we, then, we mostly root for them to get together because that's the conventions of this kind of film. Right. right. Like she she's the only female with a speaking role. I mean, I guess there are a few that have some throwaway lines. And clearly he's attracted to her, so we now want them to get together. That kind of be seems to be the structure. Yeah. And I agree that we don't see enough as to why she's interested in him in the end. We see enough for why she's no longer interested in her fiance. I think that disgust is earned. Uh, and I guess we don't like, there's no happy kiss at the end, but the implication of the finale definitely is that these two are now going to be romantically linked and have we really earned her interest in him. And I, I, the answer, the more I think about it, the answer is no. I think as, as smart as she is supposed to be like, why does she go along with the whole mayor thing? And the, you know, vote, uh, none of the above. And she's, like, cheering him on. And it's just weird. Like, the the, the arc for her character or non-arc of her character. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It was kind of, I mean, along with the, um, like, I could spend $30 million in 30 days, given those rules, way, way easier <laughs> than what he did. Uh, it was the other part of this film where I was like, ah, I was just kind of disappointed in the way that she was handled, um, I feel like there was there's potential for a much better <laughs> uh, character and relationship between them. Uh, but uh, but the dynamic, I mean, the 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 most interesting parts in the in their relationship are when when she's like, "What are you doing?" Like, I feel like there's you're better than this. Like you're better than this. And he's saying, "You know, wait until tomorrow, or g- give he's me a saying, few days." And he's saying, and "I am, it. I am better than this." but I can't tell you why. <laughs> right. And I think that needed to be played up more for uh, the emotional half of the film. I think there's still plenty of funny moments and it is a funny movie, but for emotional investment in that relationship, I agree that uh, more to be added. Done, I wonder if they could have done more with his character outside of spending money that would, that would have given her a chance to see him do something besides spend tons of money. See, I almost wish they had dropped the mayoral campaign part and really played up the baseball part that this is his actual like sense of identity and investment is him as a pitcher and his failure, like that devastated him like playing up right. that more right. than the mayor, like the mayor's side journey doesn't add enough to the film for me to warrant the amount of screen time that it gets. Unless in his mayoral thing, he had actually tried and, and she could see him like really trying to make a difference. Yes. But she doesn't see that. She just sees a crazy guy. I mean, the his mayoral campaign reminded me so much of the Trump campaign from last year. <laughs> just and just like nobody giving anybody a shot. You know, it's like uh, here's this rich guy. He's just out here to you know make a thing, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Wait a second! People actually really like this guy. <laughs> They're gonna vote for him." Uh, it kind of felt like that. Um, but anyway, this is there. There were some kind of interesting kind of squirrely things in the, in the way that some of the characters were developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but overall, as I look back on this, I think the, the, the couple of things that I take away are one, it's just fun to watch somebody spend tons and tons of money, <laughs> which I mean, there's think of all the shows. I mean, in the eighties, wasn't lifestyles of the rich famous, a TV show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah. and then 
I mean, that turned into Cribs. And, and that became... I, like, MTV's Cribs was Lifestyles of Well, and, and it's also, like, a version of the reality shows that we have now. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a there's a show on Netflix, and it's about mega mansions. And I watched the episode on the Hearst Castle, and it was fantastic. Oh, man, the Hearst Castle is it's amazing. so cool. And I need to go. And, like, oh, like Betty I, and I went. It's so amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm super jealous. Moment, guys, tell yeah. me something about the Hearst Castle. Okay, Let's so explore this for a moment. William Randolph Hearst. Familiar. Yes. So, okay. Oh, I, Newsies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and American uh, history the, classes. The Hearst of Pulitzer and Hearst <laughs> in, in the line in Newsies. So I uh, I wrote my capstone paper in American studies on uh, wealthy mansions in California, <laughs> like movie star mansions yeah. specifically. And Hearst was the, like the proto movie star mansion because he was the one that actually like put the money in and was going 100%. Whereas movie stars don't mind if it's a facade because right. it's Hollywood. Um, so, since, like, he wasn't even accepted among the nouveau riche in New York, he had to build his stuff in California. And so his his swimming pool, it was before they developed uh, the method of extruding cement that made, like, pools in our backyards possible. So his pool, tiles of marble on this so massive, massive pool with, like... And it's surrounded by, by columns and arches, and there's, like, a waterfall feature into it and everything. Um, so could they just go and film Great Gatsby using Hearst Mansion? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The outdoor pool is surrounded by all these columns of what look to be a Greek temple. And guess what? It's a Greek temple. <laughs> he he went to Greece. He and, bought yeah. a temple, an ancient Greek ruined temple. Bought the whole thing. They dismantled the whole thing, and they took it back to his his mansion and built the temple around his swimming pool. There was a zoo with all kinds of exotic oh, animals. Yeah, like, like tennis okay, courts. So if, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen um, Citizen Kane, Xanadu oh, is yeah. based on oh, yeah. on yeah. Hearst yeah. Castle. That's, but yeah, he had, he had this massive menagerie. Has his, lost his private zoo from the time. Yeah, and um, it was just ridiculous so yeah everything is you know as authentic as possible sunset boulevard is you know making jokes about you know this ceiling was imported from portugal uh-huh. like this ceiling is from portugal you know that's references it's, to people duplicating totally. hearst's yeah. uh, effect of of buying these so things cool. and bringing them to his castle and it's it's um it's a state park now i think yeah so betty and i we took this trip uh down like through Big Sur when we lived in we lived in Northern California we thought oh it would be fun to just drive to Southern California down the down the coast and we're driving and we see the signs like you know Hearst Mansion Hearst Castle and like yeah sure why not so we just got out and we had no oh. idea what it was and we were uh, totally floored it is amazing yeah. I I want to go because I watched you know trying to backtrack our conversation to what Joseph was saying you know. There is an obsession with opulence. Yes, this opulence and and this grandiosity and and everything. And it, I mean, in the like late early 1900s. So you know when Hollywood was having its golden age, and mm-hmm. and after Hearst had done this, you know they were getting you know the biggest and the best stuff. People had castles <laughs> near Hollywood, and then yeah. they they had gardens in them. And you know who they got to do the the garden design? The actual royal gardeners, the gardeners who had designed the the gardens at the palaces in England and and for the last czars of Russia, like these yeah. same people who had built these things were hired to do the opulent work yeah. in these California mansions. And I, I, 
it is definitely part of America's cultural fabric. And obviously with this novel being from 1902 has been for a very long time, uh, this, this obsession with the idea of, of richness and the lifestyles that rich people lead. And I think it is a good narrative trick. Maybe it needs to be tightened up. Uh, but the narrative trick of allowing a character that you're going to like, um, to be kind of the most, uh, wanton spendthrift, (laughs) uh, but with the, the wealth that they can, indulge in whatever but you're you're trying to at the same time you're rooting for them to stop doing that it, it's, <laughs> it's just an interesting mix that i think the the premise of the story allows and again uh you know richard Pryor, if you listen to any stand-up comic ever talk about like who has inspired them richard Pryor will be listed amongst the first three or four of who modern stand-up comics consider to be great stand-up comics uh and his he uh, he made a lot of uh comedy films he had you know, kind of a, a troubled life. Uh, his, um, uh, like many American actors in the 1980s, the drug scene was not kind uh, to, to Richard yeah. Pryor. Um, but you see, even if there are some narrative moments of this that we wish had been tightened or maybe done a little bit differently, you see his, his comic shops. I looked at a few reviews of the film. It's not, it, there's only like a, a dozen or so reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and it's, it's a pretty low rating. And a lot of them say like, this is just Richard Pryor light. They almost wish this was a different, because uh, cause his comedy act was a lot bodier and this is a PG rated movie. Um, yeah. it, it was a lot uh, edgier in terms of the way he talked about race and those and race almost never gets mentioned in this other than the scene in the jail where Sean Candy says, I don't think yeah. this is a race thing. It's so like the criticism seemed to be almost that I've seen other versions of Richard Pryor that I like more, but even in this PG version of Richard Pryor, you can see why he was so popular in the, in the seventies and eighties. I think if the, the kind of the emotional, I don't know, the, the arc of the romance doesn't work for me at all. The overall arc of the film, the emotional arc of the film, I think works really well. And, um, and the way that like first act, second act, third act, and the frenzy, just the crazy frenzy of that first act, uh, contrasted with the subdued um, kind of melancholy at the end, I think that works really well. And maybe maybe is one of the things that I like the most about the film is the way that you see him transform over the course of this journey towards where the end you believe that this guy is just sick and tired of spending money and he really does play up the giddiness of 30 million like i'm gonna get 300 million dollars and i have 30 million dollars now like he is dancing out of the hall of the lawyer's office and when he sees the money in the bank like he's he stutters like he can't even get the word money out as he's caressing this pile (laughs) of of hundred dollar bills that are in front of him (laughs) uh so so you do uh, get the very heightened emotionality of like this windfall and how that affects him on every level. Uh, but I agree with you, Todd, like you, the, the melancholy was the right word for the, for the final act as like, he's just exhausted of spending money. And also I think it could have been played up more, but you get enough of what it's like to have these people around him that are just parasites on his life. Yeah. Uh, and that are abandoning him as they see that this well is going dry. And then you also see the sweet moment where the security guard and Spike are taking up a collection <laughs> for him at that last party where he for says, him. "I'm broke. I, this is my last of my money. I'm throwing a party for everyone." And they're like, "No, that can't be right." And so they go around and they they take up a collection for him. They're trying to give him the money, and he's like, "No, don't give me money." <laughs> uh, but but the kind of I I mean I think it's it's another good good piece of acting when he's. 
trying to tell them, you know, I can't, I can't take this money. I don't want this money. I love you guys and I appreciate what you're doing, but please, please, like he just is pleading with them to leave him alone and let him stop spending money. Producer Andrew looked up an inflation ca- calculator, everyone. Yes. So I want to, I want to hear some ideas on how you guys would Brewster million 68 million dollars that- which is which is the 1985 equivalent to today, uh, to today for, Are you 30, serious? for 30 million it's inflated that much yeah can you check from 1902 Sheesh. for 1 million well, I, I, did, I did it's uh it's it's 27 million so, what about 7 million cuz he had to spend 1 million okay so he's going to inherit some of it so yeah so, so the bigger inflation is from 1985 to today to, to, to today the 30 million yeah so if we had to spend wow. 70 million dollars with these stipulations and we're going to go ahead and put the fair market value rule in place yes that you can't just say well i'm paying you one million dollars but let you only say you should be paid let's 10, think 000. about how would you brewster's million <sighs> almost 70 million dollars okay See, now i don't the, know how the, the stipulation works with fair market value because if if you have to do fair market value on things i don't know if it's possible well, that that would be the trouble. That's the, I mean, <laughs> yes, it's, Todd, it's supposed to be hard. That that's the point. <laughs> um, so the other the stamp trick is good. Yeah, but the other really hard thing is like you you don't get to keep any of these assets because immediately I would be like I would buy the best library ever, mm-hmm. but you can't because can you donate right. that then to a university? Only so much can be done for charity. University's uh, not charity. Mm, yeah, but it would it'd be considered a charitable donation though Dang. on your tax forms. <laughs> yeah. I, the I idea of renting is def- good. Like renting, I think the idea of renting is good. So, like, he rents all of his clothes. You go rent an entire expensive. hotel, every floor in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I would uh, rent a hotel, fly all my family members in. I mean that that kind of ruins it because then I'm the one who's getting the money, and none of my family members are. So it doesn't quite jive with the the scenario. But um, you I, can't like, spend a lot money of travel. on people. You can spend money on them. You just can't give them money. A, a lot of traveling, like but chartered it, yachts and cruises. So, yeah, and, I mean, so and flights. Thirty days is the limitation, but you could say I'm going to charter. I'm going to hit every continent I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, every continent in you know the next week. Uh, you know, one day per continent, and yeah. I'm going to charter a flight there. Uh, that Do you guys realize how much money seventy million dollars is, is and how yeah, much a flight is? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> charter a private jet. Yeah, but still, we're Even not. We're not. Still, we're, we're scratching yeah, we're, the surface. <laughs> I mean, it's not enough. Traveling. I would do something like I would throw. Um, So not charity, but you could just throw the craziest party, the hugest (laughs) parties. Yeah. I mean, you could spend a lot of money if you if you said I'm going to throw a huge party. We're going to do it in a a huge stadium. Everybody that comes is going to get all this stuff. Yeah, you get you get the best party favors. Right. I, th- I think you could blow a lot of money like that. So strangely enough, this is making me think of... Uh, Ooh, throw yourself some concerts. It's, it's making me think of a couple weeks ago, we talked about Parks and Rec. And I was actually going to mention that because I've <laughs> and been... And the startup company that I've been has re-watching. no purpose. So when they, when they run out of money, they have like $5,000 a piece, uh, Tom and John Raffio. So they throw a big party. <laughs> In their space before it goes away. So you you start up a company with no purpose, and you pay celebrities to hang around. You have a reception, and then you run out of all the money. <laughs> yep, that's a good way. That would that's I actually think they a went really through good it way. in a, in about a month. Um, 
you, you, you hire all the all the supermodels to come and pay him a hundred thousand dollars to do to, nothing to be the receptionist and to sit around see on but an then, ipad but that gets to my question of like fair market value is that fair market value for a job of doing nothing i don't know i mean it's really hard to spend 70 million dollars yeah. in 30 days um okay now here's here's another question i had it said he couldn't have any assets does that mean he couldn't gain any new assets or he had to give away everything he also already had well, he, he starts with nothing he is a okay a traveling ball player that is like living on the team bus okay because i was living thinking by whatever like, hotel room they pay a, you know they, okay. they're at that night that is literally what he's there because i was like oh i well, think they like, said i he, own a car and yeah he things like that in this version of it, it, it he, that's not relevant yeah and this i think they said the highest uh, the most he'd ever earned was eleven thousand dollars and i think the implication was in a year yeah <laughs> that was the most he ever earned so in terms of worldly which assets, with inflation is probably like eighty thousand dollars now right uh i it's like it's uh it just over doubles so he's not he's quite not quite to thirty thousand dollars man um i didn't realize i'm trying to think what else i can spend money, money had on. inflated that much in our lifetime yeah so so like your first gut when you're given these stipulations is, well, I'm going to buy experiences, but you cannot spend $70 million on experiences in 30 days. Um, you I know, mean, I know there's expensive food. I know you can spend money on, Oh, I on, would, you know, $10,000 steaks, the snootiest foodie in history for those 30 days. Mm-hmm. And I'd be buying it for a lot of people. Yeah. Like how many people yeah, can I buy a $10,000 steak? Can I fly for? in every iron chef? I want you to iron chef yourselves right now. All of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the common ingredient is whatever I want. That is the common ingredient I want you to make a six course meal around. Yeah, a, I feel like the way to do this is to is to find things that are very expensive and do them in bulk for lots and <laughs> lots and lots and lots of people. Yes, expensive experiences for a lot of people. Because if you could do that, establishing you could scale it, is you that, could blow through seventy million yeah. easy. I think what we're establishing is that we need to be hired to be the screenwriters on the newest version of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brewster's Millions. We're going to tighten up a few of the yes. plot holes. We're going to increase the emotional connection between We're going to make interest. it past the Bechdel test. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, yeah. Add, <laughs> we'll add another speaking female character. Uh, but no, it's, it, it's kind of like this speculative of like whenever the Powerball is really high, you know people mm-hmm. have that conversation everywhere. Like, what would you do with it? On the one hand, it's fun, but at the same time, when you try and nail down specifics, it gets hard. <laughs> like, how how would you actually spend you know these sums that for one percent of the world are fathomable but for 99 percent of the world are really unfathomable i mean 70 million is so much money like i i can't really picture it because i don't know what i would do with you know a 100th of that (laughs) a single percent of that would be so much money yeah to me and it's just like i can't I don't know. It, and like, if you listeners would like to help us understand what that's like, you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash protagonist. If we have any eccentric millionaires that are looking to you, unload. Look, we will document our Brewster's Millions yeah. experience. <laughs> Give live. us the stipulations for a million dollars. It doesn't have to be $70 million. Give us a stipulation for how you want us to spend $1 million and we'll do our best. Like, we will try. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll document we'll, the whole thing. We'll, we'll, we'll do a podcast. Off. A every spin-off day. podcast, yes. <laughs> we, will, we will record every day what we spent money on and our, our goals for the next day. And, I really do think if you do, per- think if you do things for a lot of people, um, like when we do study abroad, 
thus they say, um, you know, you've got eight students with you. You're going to go to Spain. This is how much money you have. And you're like, what? That's crazy. That's so much money. And then you spend like two nights in a hotel and you go out to eat a couple times and it's gone. <laughs> I was say, John, or if you go with like a family with three kids to Disneyland and you're like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that added up very quickly. Well, I would, I would, yeah. okay. I, I should say this because I do a Disney podcast and my wife and I are planning a Disney trip and she loves Disney. Rent out Disney I, World. I, I mean, if that's an option, <laughs> then yes. But most certainly a week at the swankiest however much you can spend per room resort that they have at disney world i don't know what the top you find the top 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 is but what does it actually cost to get in club 33 we're finding out (laughs) if you don't know listeners there's a secret club within disneyland that walt disney had put in be an asset for celebrity guests your membership uh how about just a single entrance how much yeah if you rent it yeah (laughs) um Oh, yeah, but Disneyland, Disney World, yes. A Disney cruise, rent the whole boat. <laughs> yes. The entire yeah. cruise. Book, oh, yeah. Book every room on a cruise. Yeah, but yeah, a cruise ship, that has to... If you Corporate really... members, Club 33, corporate members pay an initiation fee of $50,000, and individual members pay $50,000 in addition to annual dues, which are about $15,000. It's nothing. That's not even... Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a drop of the $70 million. I mean... Ah... Though, once again, listeners, if any of you want to pay for our entry fees into Club 33, we will allow that to happen. We'd really appreciate it. No, but I mean, you could, I think once you're like, once you can latch on to how to spend the money, um, I mean, I'm sure that there are. It's just timing it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm going to buy, you're not, you're never going to make this on buying steaks for yourself. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But if you just said, I'm going to rent Disney World for a month. And I'm then going to pay for every single person in the state of Florida who wants Ooh. to go for free and pay for all of their food and everything. Fund, fund a film festival. Fund some independent filmmakers. <laughs> I guess, yeah, we should just say, what are some financial sinkholes? Okay, independent filmmaking. <laughs> there we go. Uh, podcasting. I'm going to become a patron. <laughs> to every oh, oh, so much. <laughs> 70 million to all, to, to all the podcasts I listen to and want to patronize. There oh, you go. It's, I mean, it, you become like the patron of podcasting. <laughs> People are going to talk for there years about. A... You remember that that month when <laughs> that crazy billionaire had to spend all that money on podcasts? Yeah, there was a, an Onion article that I saw oh, floating around. And that's zero assets. That, well, no, I, it was an Onion article that said uh, uh, Americans in need this week. Two hundred fifty thousand podcasters are looking for guests to appear on their podcast for free. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, I think we solved it. Yes. Donate to podcasts. That, that is how we would spend $70 million. <laughs> We'd break Patreon. <laughs> All the donation services would, would just dissolve at the numbers. PayPal. I mean, at the same time that we're saying like $70 million is so much – like, think about all the things that happen in the world that you read about the financial news that are, like, clearing $70 million. Like, um, Steve Ballmer bought the L.A. Clippers, and it was, mm-hmm. I think it was over a billion dollars he spent to buy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it was somewhere up like, there. Like when uh, Disney bought Marvel, that was a $4 billion yeah. deal, and then they bought Lucasfilm I mean, for $4 billion. Those are obviously acquisitions of assets. But we're saying, on the one hand, like, we can't even comprehend how much but money that numbers. is to have to spend. 
but on the other hand, deals far exceeding what we're discussing are happening every single day, it seems. Yeah. We live in a very strange economic world, guys. <laughs> I don't even listen to 70 different podcasts. I could donate a million dollars to every <laughs> podcast I listen to. <laughs> See, but this is, this is, you're falling into the same problem that Monty Brewster does in the film. You don't have to donate a million dollars to 70 different podcasts. Just donate $70 million to one podcast and it's done. <laughs> According to our new stipulations, we'd have to figure out what the average Patreon actually do- or patron donates to a podcast and then donate that. Find over. that many different Patreon <laughs> yeah. pages. I'm going with rent out Disney World for a month and pay all everyone's expenses of everybody who wants to go. I mean, I would just say uh, I would go to Disney World and I would say I have $70 Refund million. all these people. I'm I paying. have $70 million. I'm paying for everybody who goes in. I mean, how many, how mu- how many days would you have to do that before you spent your 70 minutes. I, don't know. I mean, Disney I could does do not the, make a lot of money. Todd. I, could do I don't the, know. <laughs> I mean, I can do the quick math of, you know, what's the cost per day? How many people go per day? Okay. So we're going to do some quick math on, on Disney world paying for everybody. So it's about 53,000 people attend Disney world per day as an average. And I think it's about a hundred dollar ticket. So if you do a hundred dollars, per person at Disney World to get them in, we get uh, 5300000 300000 per day we could spend of our 70. So we wouldn't make it 30 days. You're only, but you uh, could go two weeks and, and, and cover And you're only paying for the their Disney entrance World. fee. But what if you said all the food is on me also? Yeah, that's not, that's oh. not the food. If you put all the food on you, you're probably one day. One, yeah, one see, week. this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't have think you, have you ever bought it any seems food like or... so much money, and then you go, Oh, if I just did that, it would be gone in a day. For fifty thousand yeah. people. But you know, you're paying market value. Yeah. Yeah. It's just doing a a good favor yeah, it's for not a charity. lot of people. It's just it's the best Disney magic surprise ever. There you go. <laughs> oh. Oh man. It would be a charity if you were going to do a lot of make-a-wishes. Would that be allowed? We could only do 5% make-a-wishes. Yeah. Yeah. Not our problem, though. (laughs) But if you want to make it our problem, (laughs) patreon.com slash protagonist podcast. Or is it just slash protagonist? Slash protagonist. Patreon.com slash protagonist. Yeah, producer Andrew, sometimes these ad reads can get confusing. And I don't need... All the negative feedback I get when I'm flubbing my lines. And I don't need it to be the outro <laughs> every single week is me flubbing a, a, an ad read. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's the intro read. Yeah, that's true. I, I give you lots to work with when it comes to <laughs> the uh, the outtakes. This has been a, a fun uh, exercise. A fun movie. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the, the remake. It's still just in the works. There's not uh, anyone from what I saw. It. Yeah, it was announced, but no, no, like real movement has been announced since it was said that a producer was had the rights and was going to be doing it again. Kind of like Creed. Kind of like Creed too. Yeah, that's going to be a swing <laughs> and a miss for me. That was a, I, I did not play Coach's decision because <laughs> I, I picked a film for the fantasy box office that was on one scheduled release for late this year, but doesn't look like it's happening anymore. Uh, I'm sure that movie will get made, just not in 2017, uh, like I needed to. I'm sure Beauty and the Beast makes up for it. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> if it was in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes, it would. <laughs> You'll be just fine. 
All right. I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Any final thoughts on uh, Brewster's Millions before we do wrap up time? Well, lots of fun. Thanks, Carl. Yes. Thank you, uh, Patron Carl, for suggesting this. Uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And please leave us a review there. That really helps us out. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our previous shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we would love for you to stop by. And go ahead under this episode and tell us how you would spend $70 million in 30 days with the stipulations <laughs> that have been established. If you would like to support the show financially... <laughs> can't read that with a straight face after this episode uh, but there are a few different <laughs> ways that you can do that you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation <laughs> I can't get through this <laughs> uh, feel, feels hard to ask for money right now uh, Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to throw in if you are an eccentric millionaire feel free to show your appreciation for this podcast through a monetary donation <laughs> by clicking the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist all supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films. And you could also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. It looks exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback whenever you use that link. Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. We'll, we'll go with that as an estimate. So, a uh, hundred times fifty three thousand. <laughs> Somebody get a calculator. We're not going to do this math <laughs> Don't right do now. Don't li- do math live on air. Never do live math. <laughs>